Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, the New York Knicks, a mixed weekend falling 119 to 101 to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then a dominant 118 to 88 win over what was sort of a G League team in the backup Orlando Magic, Alex. But what are we going to talk about? Yeah, two very different results, but two very similar themes. Obi Toppin doing very well. Emmanuel quickly also playing very well. And in that Orlando game, just forget about it. Everybody was fantastic. Can't wait to talk about it next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked on Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, including on YouTube and today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And who who exactly is talking to you? Well, most of you probably know that at this point, but in case you don't, I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster covering college basketball and a myriad of high school sports. And he is Alex Wolf, editor in chief of the Strickland, the greatest. Knicks website on the internet, indisputably. And Alex, the Knicks were the greatest team in the NBA against the, uh, I'll, I'll call them the Lakeland Magic because they were missing Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Jonathan Isaac, Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner. I can go on and on. The, the list, the, the, the litany of all-stars and future all-stars that the Orlando Magic didn't have. Of course, the Knicks blew them out. And then the Knicks were decimated the night before, the afternoon before, by the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we, there's, there's, a, there's a wide range of capacities to start, Alex. I'll leave it up to you. Where do you want to take us? Yeah, let's not undersell that Magic team, right? No. I mean, they did have, like, the superhuman Terrence Ross on their team, mm-hmm. who usually rips the, the Knicks apart. So let's not undersell them too much. You know, they're pretty pretty quality opponent. And the Knicks were also missing some guys of their own. But, I mean, I, I think we should start with Obi Toppin, right? I mean, the... <laughs> The stat line for the Orlando game is just hysterical. Like it's, he had 20 points in 35 minutes, seven to 16, four of 10 shooting from three, uh, two of two from the free throw line, eight boards, three assists, a block, and a positively absurd plus 46 in 35 minutes of action. Highest um, in Knicks history, tied with yeah, yeah, just insanity. You know, to end up a plus 46. In your action, poor Taj Gibson somehow ends up a um, what was it a, a minus sixteen in thirteen minutes. I don't know. It didn't feel that way to me. It didn't feel like Taj was the active detriment out there. Shout out to Taj for still you know holding it down and and trying to be a three point marksman. But um, yeah, I mean, I just thought Obi Toppin was phenomenal. You know, I think these last two games, you know, we've we've definitely talked about this before, but there's something to be said for like this being sort of a tryout for Obi with Julius out as far as whether Obi can be a starter or not. And uh, I think he's proved pretty well. I mean, he's, he's playing, you know, 30 something minutes a game. Um, You know, he's, he's 
hit two 20-point games in a row, which are the first two of his career um, after not having any through his first, uh, it's like, like 70, 80, something, something like that. Um, but, you know, he's played 30-plus minutes, shooting around 50%. I mean, I think that he's he's really playing with confidence. He's getting out on the break like he always does. But even in the half court, he's bringing a ton of, of verve to the offense, you know, just looking to constantly make cuts to the hoop and, you know, finish inside with gusto and everything else. I mean, I just – I love what I've been seeing out of him these last couple of games. Um, I think that he's – He's proved everything and then some that we sort of need to see out of him right now. And, you know, I, I understand there needs to be some consistency to that. And I, hopefully, you know, if Randall is shut down for the rest of the year, which it's sort of sounding like he is, uh, then we could see some more of that consistency over these next few games to close the season out. But, you know, I think in, in two games where it was so disparate, the, you know, the, the results of them, um, you know, getting blown out by 20 by Cleveland, blowing out Orlando by like almost 30. The one constant was just that like Obi Toppin, I thought was a, a fantastic presence in both games. And uh, I, I think he's he's really the talking point right now. You know, it's it's like, you know, what RJ is at this point. IQ has been doing his thing for like a month now. It's like if Obi gets his chance and gets starters minutes, what can he do? And And so far, I think the results have been really good. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. And I mean, I think this is to your credit because you've brought this up a lot. Obviously, we all know that the three-point shot is ultimately the make-or-break skill for Obi, but a, a really big thing for him, and I think in retrospect, a really big thing for Emmanuel quickly is um, how different of a shooter is he when he actually has a chance to get a rhythm versus just coming in for three, four minutes at a time and, and, and never really having that opportunity. And as a starter this year, um, I think it was Mike Plew who brought this up on Twitter. Apologies if it was uh, someone else, but, um, he shot 36% from three, uh, as a starter over the course of the season, which is obviously, I mean, propped up by these last two games for sure. Um, but I don't, and, and not quite a substantial sample size, but I think there is something to the idea that when he actually gets an opportunity to be in rhythm, it looks pretty good. I mean, he hit this sick relocation three against the Cavs where you could, I mean, obviously there's, there's a mic on the net, but it was, it's pure enough that you could hear it go through the basket and, We've talked about that a lot with Obi. Like, there's times where the shot looks mechanically like like picturesque, and then there are other times where it just couldn't be uglier. But I really do think that kind of consistency is just from getting into a rhythm. And then, and then the other thing you said that really stood out to me is the idea of the verve that he brings in the half court. Like, there was one play against the Orlando Magic where he was just literally all he did was like dribble across the lane, like just inside the arc, hand off to RJ Barrett, cutting off of him the other direction. RJ just scoots to the basket for a layup, but Obi incidentally even though he's not much of a shooter has so much gravity on those plays because his signature move is moving horizontally and then all of a sudden like kind of taking like this little break dribble and just cutting towards the basket at a speed that most players in the nba simply can't muster and at this point that's on the scouting report with him teams know he's going to try to do that so how do you leverage that you have a dribble handoff going the other direction and you're leaving defenders like in knots to some extent, like obviously we saw all the stuff that he typically does well, like he ran the floor incredibly well, both games, uh, we showed off a little bit of a mid range game at points. Another thing I really like from him is his first step just continues to look better and better to me. I think it's probably that his first step was always really good. It's just that his handle has gotten stronger now. So he's able to show it off. But there was a point where like he absolutely toasted Chumo Kiki and, and typically in the past, again, he had, he'd have to do something weird to win off the dribble, right? Like, like go horizontal, then go vertical or, or like fake a handoff and then attack the basket. But th this was just straight up one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, I'm, I'm quicker than you. And I think as his skill level improves, 
we're seeing him figure out better and better ways to leverage his athletic ability. And I don't know about you. I'm, I'm really excited after another off season, like when he can add just a little bit more to his bag, like how much further along that can get. I mean, it's an open question to whether he can replicate Julius Randall's um, impact on offense when Julius is having one of his good nights. Like he, he's just, he's so far away from that level of skill, but we're seeing like all these different ways that he can compensate. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not like it ever has to be a one-to-one between the two of them. And I know that's yeah. not what you're implying, but like, you know, he just does things differently, you know, everything with him, like with Randall, you know, the best part was always the ability to sort of break down the defense, get inside, kick to, you know, a shooter or whatever, like kick to Reggie Bullock or, you know, whoever, if a double comes or, or just if he's able to just, you know, hit the defense at just the right way to bend it and, you know, create a look for a teammate. Whereas Obi, you know, it's, it's more like he's just so decisive, you know, that things don't have to stop with him in there, you know, like with Randall, it was sort of like, give it to Randall, let him go to work, everybody find your spots and get ready with Obi. It's like, everything can stay in motion because he's going to stay in motion. And so, you know, he, he does a pretty good job of still looking to pass out of those situations when the opportunity presents itself. But he's also just so decisive about being like, it's my turn to score the ball. You know, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to score the ball. Um, And then, you know, I guess the other thing is he could do other things as far as moving the ball that Randall just doesn't really. Um, You know, I think that for example, you know, Clyde started alluding to this actually on the, the broadcast yesterday, like, he's he's got a pretty good skill set and transition at this point and Clyde was sort of encouraging him on the broadcast like you know hey make make sure to put the ball on the floor like you know you could bring it up the floor like that's a skill that you have sort of and I totally agree with that like I think that running transition himself is going to be sort of the next evolution of Obi I think at least as far as a skill that he could probably pretty easily put together you know just essentially instead of only being the guy that that rips out on the on the uh, break there and gets ahead of the the pack and you know catches the pass and throws it down or whatever. He can also be the guy that just snatches the rebound and just sprints end to end and gets a dunk for himself that way or whatever the case may be because he's got that end to end speed and you know I I think that that'll be a skill that we'll start seeing from him sooner than later. That feels like the low hanging fruit to me as something that he can really add and and work on soon. Yeah, I'm in total agreement. And I think watching him a little bit more as a starter, what, what stands out to me, and I've, I'm sure I've said similar stuff in the past, but he just makes the easy pass. When a lot of times Julius sees the easy pass and refuses to make it. And there's, I think there's immense value in a player who every time is just willing to make the right play. Like even, even late against the Magic, like he passed up like a good three for RJ having a better three because RJ was slightly more open and RJ is just a better shooter at this point. And I, I love that quality. Um, but Alex, let's come back. Let's talk a little Emmanuel quickly because he had a fun weekend as well. But first, I want to tell everyone one more time about betonline.net because it's the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championships odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. Alex, I'm still, I know there's only one game left, but I'm still locked in on the NCAA tournament. Kansas is a four point favorite over North Carolina. Um, I think that game comes down to the health of Armando Baycott. But honestly, I don't think Kansas has really been challenged throughout the tournament while we've seen Carolina beat Baylor, beat Duke. I think Carolina is the more seasoned team. They kind of feel like a team of destiny to me. I don't know, maybe against the veteran Kansas squad with a little bit more depth, they get exposed. 
But I actually, I actually like North Carolina in the game, so I would put some money down. And you know what? I haven't guided you guys wrong yet on these Bet Online reads. So, Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Alex, uh, I thought another another fantastic two game stretch for Manuel. Quickly shot it. Pretty poorly against the Cavs, only six for 17, but did have seven assists and seven rebounds in that game. And it comes back against the, uh, again, not not so great Orlando Magic um, and becomes the second youngest Nick to ever record a triple-double with a 20-10-10 game. What stood out to you from his performance this weekend? I mean, I think it was mostly the the 10 assists more so than anything, right? Like the um, being able to bend the defense that way and, uh, you know, create the opportunities for his teammates like his scoring was really good but I, I think we've been seeing that more often than not to see him get a 10 assist game I think is sort of a next step for him you know like that's not something that that he's I, I he's done that maybe once so far in his career twice I, I didn't hear a stat on that honestly because I wasn't listening super close to the commentary but I know that's not something that he's done like super often is hit double digit assists um so I mean I think that that was definitely uh, the the part that st- stood out to me as far as his uh, game goes, also the rebounding. I mean, it's like those are the two things it, we've seen the scoring, so we know how that's going. Um, we have not seen the the rebounding and assists like every single game, but he's turning into a really plus rebounding guard, getting really good at pushing the pace and transition. I think that's really just like the future for this team. You know, if if it's a partic- potential Julius Randleless world, like next year. The, the real future for this team, I think, is just transition. You know, the fact that they're, they have so many capable rebounding guys that can rebound the ball and immediately turn their head up the floor and, and get things going the other direction. Um, I think that's just – that's like the the future for this team and and that's what quickly does so well and what really, I think, stood out in that Magic game. Again, not to – I mean, I feel like I'm mostly just talking about the Magic game. It was so much more fun. Uh, <laughs> it's not to say that – you know, he played poorly in the uh, in the Cleveland game or anything. Like he actually came fairly close to another triple double there with seventeen seven and seven. But I guess the uh, the Orlando game was just sort of like the culmination of uh, of the the what we started to see in that Cleveland game, uh, just on a better scale. You know, and doing it better in the Orlando game. So that's definitely my biggest takeaway for him. Yeah, and I think what always stands out to me quickly, and and obviously it, it's I think it helps a lot when when Obi's in there instead of Julius, but not just the speed that he adds in transition, but the the verve that he adds in the half court, like like him and Obi, just their, their chemistry creates openings like where the, where there shouldn't be openings, and like where where their individual skill level. I mean, IQ is quickly approaching the point where he can create a lot of his own offense, but like where neither of those guys are necessarily like hyper dynamic on the ball creators, like their chemistry basically replicates that. Like he, he had this little give and go with Obi where like Obi like cut up to the, I think it was the right wing and IQ just passed it to him. And then IQ just quickly back cut, beat his man. Obi zipped it right back to him. Uh, defense converges around IQ in the lane. IQ like double pump kick out to RJ for three. And that, that's a shot like purely created off of like those two knowing each other's games fantastically well. And, and to what I said about Obi last segment, just the ability to make quick decisions like really, really helps. And the other thing that stood out to me with IQ, it, it's I think where he's playing so well now is he's combining the spectacular stuff with the consistency. Like you're seeing every game, like he he's kind of replicated what he was doing last year in terms of drawing fouls, 
but it, it's much harder because of the rule changes. He's gotten so good again. Like we, we talked a lot last year about there's one guy on Twitter who loved it, a quickly booty jail. And he's, he's back to putting defenders in booty jail with, with fantastic consistency. And then just like letting them like basically like, like taking them for a ride all the way to the rim, like just going up into their body, drawing foul after foul after foul that way. Um, and, and that's that's how you have a 17-point night when you only shoot six for 17 from the field. It's being efficient from three. It's getting to the line a ton. But then he combines that with these flash plays. And, and that's, again, like what we saw from him last year where I was saying, I kind of think this guy might be a star. And when we did our um, player potential rankings earlier this season, I had him ahead of R.J. Barrett because I was thinking, like, look, he shows flashes that I don't even think R.J. quite gets to. Obviously, that's changed with R.J., but now we're back to quickly being in that discussion. Like, he, he threw this outlet pass to Obi Toppin. That was just one of the best passes I've seen in the NBA this season. Like Obi was stride for stride with his guy and, and quickly just led him with like a perfect parabola. Obi didn't have to break stride. He caught it one step dunk picture. Perfect. And then Alex, I'm sure you remember this one, that reverse layup he had, that was Julius Irving esque against the Cavs. He took out, I like, I replayed it three or four times. He, he took off with just his toe inside the paint on the right side, like up looping under insane arc insane english on the ball and it's just little things like that that he just as spectacular as he was a season ago as as good as he was at points earlier this season he just didn't have that in his bag and and those flashes to me are like like they stop you for a second they make you think could there be a little bit more here so i i took i took the liberty of looking up his stats over the last 20 games versus jalen brunson's because i do i do think that's an increasing conversation now like if quickly is going to be this good do you want to invest 20 million dollars in a brunson so quickly over the last 20 26 minutes per game 15 points uh five rebounds four assists on 44 percent from the field 39 percent from three 86 percent from the line Brunson playing seven more minutes per game. He's playing 33 minutes a game, averages 17, four, and three. So essentially, like on, on a permanent basis, not as good of a scorer, uh, not as good of a rebounder, not nearly as good of a passer, um, but he does so more efficiently, 50% from the field, 41% from three, 93% from the line. So obviously lacking a whole lot of nuance here, but the main thing that stands out there is Brunson is just so efficient from two-point range, and that's an aspect of Quickly's game that hasn't quite gotten there yet. But if you think quickly he's going to continue to get stronger, continue to get better around the basket, like I see a Jalen Brunson type future for him. And I know this isn't something we plan on discussing, Alex, but I think it's interesting to say, do you really want to throw $20 million Jalen Brunson's way as good as he is if quickly he's on a similar trajectory? I mean, it doesn't kill to have two of those guys, but I think it's a question worth asking. Yeah, it, it you know, you almost start to think like, would it be, if quickly he's going to continue on this trajectory, does it make more sense to just go after like, Ricky Rubio on a one-year deal or something like that, you know, just get Rubio like for one year, I don't know, $10 million or something like whatever it takes to get him, you know, coming off his ACL injuries, as long as everything's looking good with that, you know, get him on the team and, and hopefully give some sort of, you know, directive to Tibbs to say like, no, quickly is the starter. Like you are not to start Ricky Rubio instead of him, like play quickly, play him 30 minutes or whatever. Like this is it. Um, which is maybe asking too much of the the front office right now, but that might be a more prudent move and a better use of resources. Um, I think the only the only thing that I could say that at this point, because like you know, I was pro Brunson for a while, and I still, I mean, if they sign him, I'm not going to be like like ah oh, shucks, like I didn't want them to sign Jalen Brunson. Like I, I would still be on board with it if they're if that's the guy that they want to go after. But you know, I think that if there was a, another selling point that I can make, it's it's not even quite devil's advocate, but just, you know, offering a, a positive spin on it. 
you know, you could still sign Brunson and in theory, since they're both adept off the ball and both can sort of do a little bit of everything, you could in theory play him and quickly together, in which case, I mean, you get two lights out free throw shooters, two really good three point shooters, two guys that can play with the ball or without um, two guys that can also run the point, you know, to some degree. And I, I mean, I, I'd be with that, I think. So maybe that's the the middle ground there of that question, but also to your point, it's like just from an asset management perspective, it's like, do you want to have like $40 million almost invested between Brunson and Fournier, assuming that you're somehow able to hold on to Fournier and don't have to include him in some sort of sign and trade or, you know, that that sort of thing. That's like a lot of money to have invested um, in the backcourt for, quite frankly, a backcourt that still would not rank among the upper echelon in the NBA by any stretch of the imagination. Like, do you really want to spend a third of your salary cap roughly on that. I don't know. You know, it's not, it's, it, it's definitely an interesting question going into this off season. Um, but Gavin, I want to quickly let everybody know uh, before we move on to the last segment, do a little housekeeping, talk about actually another option that I have uh, <laughs> to go with potentially instead of Jalen Brunson, someone that stood out to me in the Orlando game. But I want to just let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by built bar you guys know the drill. Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They are. They look like a candy bar. When you bite into one, you, you think, ah, oh, crap, this is going to be a protein bar. And then you're like, oh, no, this tastes a lot like a candy bar also. And they're not going to load you up with tons of sugar and carbs and all that stuff that you calories, things that you don't want to, you know, fill your body with, particularly after a workout. You know, they're just going to give you what you need while looking and tasting like a candy bar. It's a little bit, it's like an oxymoron. Like you can't quite wrap your brain around it when you're eating a Built Bar. And Built Puffs are definitely my favorite out of the lineup. They're like a protein-infused marshmallow covered in chocolate. They have so many good flavors like cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're probably going to be your new favorite. They're definitely my new favorite. Reminds me a lot of eating like a, like a Malamar or something like that. Uh, and on top of it, like I said, built bars, most of them contain just 130 calories, four grams of sugar and four grams of net carbs compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. If you compare that to a candy bar that usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar and dozens of net carbs, in addition to fat, there's no competition. It's definitely the way to go. So go to built.com and use promo code lock 15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Gavin, so I alluded to it right before the built break there. Uh, and there was a a guy that I started thinking about in the Magic game, and I want to get your opinion on him uh, before we move on and, and talk about the rest of the Knicks. But since the conversation came up, as far as you know, free agent point guards and stuff like that and, and what we would prioritize, I was watching another guy who was on the Magic side, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, the Magic are in – that sort of position where like the fourth pick might not be unreasonable for them to end up with. And if things go chalk in the draft, that would mean they would probably end up in Jade Ivy range and then have that decision to make of like, well, do we draft best player available with Ivy despite having, you know, drafted a number of guards in recent years, or do we, you know, go ahead and take a different player, you know, maybe someone who's more of a forward or a wing or whatever, but potentially miss out on this really great prospect. And, when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, if, if they do find themselves in that situation, which some things have to fall in place between now and then, I would really love the Knicks. And I mean, maybe maybe the Knicks don't even need this, you know, serendipitous thing to happen. 
as far as them getting the fourth pick or whatever. But regardless of the situation, I would make a call on Marco Fultz. Like, I think he signed for like $10 million uh, with the Magic. It's it's really a pretty affordable contract. And, I mean, they might be looking at that too and saying, no, he's on an affordable contract. But they do have Cole Anthony. They have Jalen Suggs. You know, they have RJ Hampton. They have, you know, a number of different guys on this team that they're investing time and energy into uh, to grow at the guard spot. If they find that they're sort of just like, uh, you know, done with faults just because, you know, not for any tangible reason, but more or less just like we're trying to free up room for for the younger guys we have on the roster to continue growing. Um, I would love to go after him. I, I just I think that he finally looks like fixed to me. You know what I mean? It's it's that's like almost kind of harsh to say, but like for a long time, he was definitely broken before he showed up in Orlando. And then, of course, has the the ACL tear last year. But uh, this was the first game that I really got a good look at him. Like since he came back from injury, I've just been kind of stat watching him a little bit. But watching him play, I'm like, he's still got it. Like, I, and I think that he's still got some room to grow. Like, I could see a world where it would be pretty cool having like, again, if we're talking about guys who could potentially play with quickly for stretches, I think that Fultz and quickly would make a really great combo together uh, out there on the floor. And like, I, I really dig Markel Fultz at this point, and I would not mind going after him if that's on the table. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I think I think the my only counter argument would just be that he's never shot more than two and a half free throws per game for his career, and this is the first time he's ever shot over thirty percent from three, and he's doing so on less than one attempt per game. And I just think you, like to some extent, you you just need one of those things, right? You got to be able to hit from distance, or you got to be able to get to the line. But I'm, I was watching him too. Like he he just absolutely like bullied quickly on one play. Just just took him under the rim and finished over him. Like like there's some good qualities there. Like I this is this is a horrible name to invoke, but he almost seems like a souped up like Alfred Payton to some extent to me. Um, which I know won't won't really get anyone salivating in in, in Knicks Nation. But to your point, I've always I've loved him as a player. I got to watch him like in person like a couple times in college. I was I was always. Super, like everyone else, super impressed with him. Like I think he's a guy that has a whole lot of game. Um, it's just like can he can he gain enough of that confidence and like coming off an ACL, especially like enough of that off the dribble verb to compensate for a shot that like at this point um, lo- looks better. And his free throw shooting a year ago was good, but who knows where it ultimately ends up? Yeah, I guess we will see. Uh, Gavin, I'll uh, you know I, I sort of hijacked the conversation there to uh, talk about faults, but. What else stood out to you in, in these two games? Who else stood out to you? I mean, obviously a, a great performance from like half the team yeah. in the Orlando games. There's a lot to potentially talk about. Uh, maybe Mitchell Robinson with his eight stocks in 30 minutes or R.J. Barrett with a nice, relatively efficient 27 points to sort of get back on on target. Uh, what was what was one of your other takeaways out of this out of these two games, but probably the Orlando game? I actually got about like five, 10 minutes on Iggy Brasdakis. So just sit back and, uh, okay. I'll, I'll, you know, uh, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm unfortunate. Just let one get away. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Another um, Knicks mistake. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Steph Curry, John Morant, Iggy Brasdakis. Um, but, uh, no, I'm actually, I'm going to go, I'm going to go negative because we've been, we've been pretty positive so far on this podcast. Uh, RJ Barrett against the Cleveland Cavaliers, just flat out, uh, one of the worst games of his career, I'll say like, and it not even, I don't even care about the four for 18 that much because at this point, his career like operating is like the alpha dog in this offense as a 21 year old, he's, he's going to have nights like that. And it's, and it's fine. It's all part of the development for him. But defensively, I know it's something we've touched on a couple of times recently. Like I thought this was, this was a new low for him. Like I was seeing some, some Julius Randall esque like brain farts and like, and, and lack of interest. Um, 
And, and it, it, a lot of it happened in the second quarter. Like, and, and that was where Cleveland started really separating this game before it ultimately turned into a bit of a blowout. But he, he pulled, uh, there's no other word for it. He pulled a Randall. He, he watched his shot uh, up from the corner and then started just jogging back on defense, gave up a dunk to Isaac Okoro. Um, this has been a tendency I've seen from him all season. And again, it's hard to pin this on him because I just, I don't know if this is what Tibbs wants out of his scheme or if it was just RJ making a mistake, but he way overhelped on Darius Garland and then gave up a Karis LeVert three. Again, maybe someone was supposed to rotate over there. It's hard to tell. This other play was definitely his fault. He just didn't box out Lamar Stevens in the corner, completely fell asleep. Stevens just literally raced in and got just about the easiest putback layup I've ever seen in the NBA. And then had another play near the end of the second quarter where he got back cut by Karis LeVert that forced Evan Fournier to just scramble off of his man from across the court. LeVert just swung it over to Lamar Stevens, who was Fournier's man, for a wide open three. Um, then a minute into the third quarter, and I, I was just tracking all this because I was like, all right, is he is he going to focus? Is he going to start paying attention? Uh, the answer was no, because Karis LeVert, again, back cut him for a dunk. Um, and yeah, that was that was pretty much the game for RJ. He was, he was just getting toasted. He looked disinterested at a lot of points. And uh, that was kind of frustrating because I, I think the one thing you want to be able to count on from RJ on a night to night basis is like his focus and his consistency and give him credit. Like he did what he was supposed to do against Orlando. He was amazing. He, he should have, he was being guarded by uh, Devin Kennedy of Princeton legend uh, for a good chunk of the night. Like he, he should have kicked his ass and he did, but that Cavs game was uh, a disappointing, I think. And I, I'd like to see even more so than hot shooting, like RJ's defense really finish on a strong note over these closing three or four games. Yeah, I agree. And like, it's, it's tough too, because, you know, for RJ, I mean, he's sort of starting to play the media game a little bit. I mean, granted, he's being asked direct questions about it, but you know, there's a big decision for, for him and for the organization coming up this off season about how much he's worth and if they're going to offer him a rookie max extension, you know, or, or something close to it. And you know, what, what he's, you know, going to, to, be making going forward for this team is going to in in many ways affect how we view him you know a lot you know like because once once he gets whatever he gets assuming i mean this is maybe assuming too much but assuming he's finally the guy that breaks the charlie ward curse after 20 some odd years um you know what he ends up making is gonna is gonna shape the lens that we view him through going forward and like if he thinks that he's a max player these sort of things like these sort of games can't really happen. You know what I mean? Like if he's going to be making, honestly, like if he gets his rookie max and let's just assume for the sake of argument, that the Knicks keep Julius Randall, RJ Barrett would become their, their highest paid player by like a decent margin, you know? And then it, it ceases being, Oh, you're the young guy, you know, you could do no wrong because like, it's awesome. You're, you're on a, you know, a contract pays you like $8 million a year. Like this is all found money, whatever. All of a sudden then, games like this start, you know, being looked at with a more critical eye from us and others and, and from the team itself, you know, uh, saying, Hey, we gave you, you know, I don't know, like a, not quite a third of our salary cap. Like you're going to need to really, you know, step things up here if, if, you know, you're going to be making that amount of money. And so he does need to start finding that consistency and, you know, it might just be late season doldrums, but, I don't know. It was a little weird to see him sort of flop in that game, considering he seems to get really up for these these games against the guys in his draft class. You know, like he, he got really up for the Memphis game, you know, against John Morant was like taking the challenge of guarding John, all that stuff. And at times he was he was guarding Garland in this game, too. 
but he just didn't seem to have that, you know, that fire about him in this game. And, you know, again, it might just be late in the season, you know, there's nothing really to play for anymore, but I would like to see him hopefully being excited to play with his, you know, more contemporary, you know, his contemporaries, you know, the, the younger guys on the team and build something here. And instead, you know, to see him come out with a, a game like that is disappointing. Totally. I mean, it's forgivable. Look like it's more or less a one time occurrence. I mean, his defense has been a little shaky for a little while now since he's been taking on more of an offensive role, uh, which we don't talk about a ton because the offense has been so, so consistent and awesome. Uh, but you know, a game like this where, you know, he's not playing great on offense or defense really kind of underscores the like he's he's got to find a new consistency level going forward, I think, uh, to really cement himself if he wants to be considered anything like a, a max player in the NBA. Um, Trying to think of us. I, I'll, I'll bring it to Mitch, you know, maybe to close the show even. Yeah. Um, but like I thought Mitch had a great game in the Orlando game. Granted, you know, we've brought it up like five times, not the highest level of competition, but. I mean, he was just like a, a world eater. He was like Galactus out there, you know, just <laughs> destroying Orlando all game. I mean, it was just, it seemed, especially in the first quarter, I think he had three blocks in like the first like four minutes, five minutes. It, it took like no time at all. And he already had, you know, a, a full game's where the blocks ends with five blocks and three steals, which, I mean, I know that we've gotten a little desensitized to like four or five stock games out of him, but eight is quite a few. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, I mean, quite the spectacle. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I loved Mitch's game. Um, I think that he's doing a, a pretty decent job. I mean, the, the Cleveland game for him, too, was a little – it was weird. It was – I won't say it was like super passive, but like he definitely – he didn't respond well to like – Moses Brown and and those guys, which you know isn't great, but again, big bounce back for him in the Orlando game. I just I love when he's on and he's just gobbling everybody up on the inside and just saying like, no, you can't do anything in here. And uh, you know, I I thought that he served as a great deterrent for one thing. Uh, he also blocked the three, which was always awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, and then also just not even just as a deterrent, he literally generated a ton of uh turnovers and uh you know block shots and that sort of thing so i love the game from him against orlando i i hope we see again for another guy that's trying to prove his worth going into the soft season in the more near term because he's an unrestricted free agent i i thought the orlando game was a really good showing for him yeah i've made the analogy before but it reminded me of anthony davis at kentucky def- defensively where it's just like it's sort of unfair that one team has this guy and the other team doesn't like it looked like like a college guy playing against high schoolers almost like he was he was physically overwhelming uh my favorite play of the game from him was when he, he rode the lopez coaster and robin tried to throw like 60 different fakes at him and, and mitch just went with every one of them and just destroyed his shot uh that was very satisfying and i was painfully reminded by kenny albert that at one point robin lopez started every single game for the new york knicks that was in 2014-15 so any anytime you think things are bad that happened. And that's not even Robin was like a nice player, but uh, that's there was just no direction on that team. But uh, I digress. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome game for Mitchell Robinson. Uh, my final note on this one, I wanted to quickly shout out um, Evan Fournier. Uh, he continues to just throw these great passes in pick and roll, like one to Mitch where he slipped it between two different defenders and hit Mitch running to the rim. And Mitch just jammed it with Lopez kind of giving him an elbow to the ribs. And it's just a reminder, oh, yeah, the, the Knicks have one of the best pick-and-roll threats in the NBA. And a lot of times it doesn't look like it because they just 
haven't had guys all season capable of getting the basketball. Uh, someone threw a, there was that stat circulating about how Donovan Mitchell only passes the ball two times a game to Rudy Gobert. And someone threw out there, uh, Julius Randle passes to Mitchell Robinson even less. It was like 1.5 times per game or something, uh, which which tracks. I was almost surprised it was even that high. But shout out to Evan Fournier, uh, consistently consistently looking for his bigs and and an underrated passer, even though he didn't have a great night scoring the ball either of these two games and uh shout out to Deuce McBride who, who had some, uh, some really tough shots down the stretch against the Orlando magic. Uh, I wish Tibbs uh, maybe would have played him for 30 minutes instead of Alec Burks for 30 minutes against the team that the Knicks could have walked into a victory against, but you know what, Alex, it wouldn't, wouldn't be locked on Knicks podcast if I didn't get into tip shots. So uh, that's it. That's my closing note. And yeah, good win. Just make sure you're qualified to get those tip shots off, buddy. You know, that's oh, a, yeah. Oh, you know, I did only watch the game once, so my bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. go back and watch the game two more times and then get back to me on if you're allowed to, you know, say something like that. <laughs> I come anyway. in wide eyed. Alec Burks, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. <Yeah. laughs> you cut your hair my, off. My fault. My fault. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't have too much more to add either. Um, an interesting weekend of games, to say the least. Uh, so. Thank you all for listening to Locked on Knicks. We'll be back with some more episodes this week, including our second part with CP coming out tomorrow. So if you enjoyed that first episode over the weekend, uh, be sure to keep your ears out. We'll have our second part with CP discussing some potential Julius Randle trades coming out tomorrow. Uh, but until next time, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you all soon. Peace out.